Hello and welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. This week we're reading Matthew chapter 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 through 21. There are three very important principles this week that I hope to be able to look at briefly. I love, love, love the accounts of the gospel of the events of the resurrection. Of course, we call it the resurrection, but what we are actually speaking of is the discovery of the resurrection. Our Lord Jesus Christ actually resurrected at a time and in a manner that we have no record of. By the time everyone got there, it was already done. John 20 states, The first day of the week, Sunday, cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark. So he must have risen from the dead sometime before the sun came up on Easter morning. I find the account of John to give the most detail about the discovery of the Lord's resurrection. After Mary found the stone rolled away in the empty tomb, she ran to tell the disciples that someone had stolen the body of Jesus. So Peter and John ran to see for themselves. An interesting side note is that John refers to himself not just in this chapter, but a few times prior as well, as the other disciple whom Jesus loved. It's kind of a self-effacing, humble way of authoring this record, as if somehow referring to, not once, but twice, the speed at which he ran to the sepulcher, beating Simon Peter there, but seemingly hiding the identity of himself in the account, would keep an image of humility. Most who discover this find it rather comedic. What is extremely important to understand as Peter and John arrive at the scene is the weakness in the English language. Both Hebrew and Greek are rather exact in their expressions and descriptions. When John arrived at the sepulcher, in verse 5 it says, And he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen cloths lying, yet he went not in. The word saw in Greek translation is blepo, which is to say that he looked in and he could see the clothes, but that was it. It is a visual rendering of the word saw, to see with your eyes or to notice what is before you. In the next verse, verse 6, Simon Peter actually goes into the sepulcher and it says, Then came Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeing the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So Peter also saw what was in the tomb, but the Greek translation of this word was theatro, which is where we get the word theater from. It means more than just seeing. It means to study, to concentrate on, to watch closely, or to experience. Peter didn't just see the empty tomb. He analyzed what it was he was looking at. But John, seeing Peter's boldness to enter into the sepulcher, he goes inside also. And in verse 8 it says, Then went also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. All three verses tell us that Peter and John saw. 
But the Greek translation of verse 8 tells us that John edon, or comprehended. He understood, his eyes were opened, and because of that, he believed. We use the word saw for all three, but the Greek tells us a much deeper story of the events, how they experienced the different things as they understood what was before them. So what was it that they saw? In the Jewish culture, they care for their dead in a very specific way. They take long strips of cloths and cover the arms and legs first. Then they cover the whole body, wrapping it tightly with strips of cloths and a gel made of aloes and other spices. The gel is intended to harden with the wrap to create a type of cocoon or a a shell around the body. The face, however, was only covered with a single cloth, a napkin. We understand a lot about this process from the story of Lazarus when he was raised from the dead by Jesus. The account says, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. So when John looks into the empty tomb where Jesus once laid, he would have seen the bandages still in their form in the shape of his body, undisturbed or maybe deflated like a flat tire. If someone would have stolen the body, the cloths would have been in a messy pile as they attempted to remove them, or they would have been missing altogether. But there they were just as if he vanished. But the face napkin, that was in a place all by itself. An interesting detail to include. We don't know for sure, and this is not doctrinal, but it is an interesting thought to consider that it was a Jewish custom that if you sat at a meal at someone's house and you had a good time there, they were kind and hospitable to you, you would crumple up your napkin and leave it on the table. However, if for some reason you didn't find your stay there to be enjoyable, or the host was not as gracious as they could have been, the guest would take the napkin and fold it neatly, signifying that they would never return there or enter into their house again. It's just a thought for you to ponder on. So Peter and John leave, And Mary is still there. This is where things get really interesting. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeing two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. This is the only time in scripture that we read of angels sitting. But what is more fascinating is that why didn't Peter and John see the angels? It's almost as if as soon as they leave or get out of the way and Mary has a chance to get in there, there they are. And not just angels. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they lay him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seek thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Mary had a long history with Jesus. From the first part of his ministry, as he cast out seven demons from her, and ever since then, her unwavering faith and loyalty to him, from helping him to support him as he fulfilled his mission to minister and to heal, to being at the foot of the cross as they crucified him, she was always there, always faithful, always loyal. There's a series that I'm sure you've heard of called The Chosen. It's not produced by the church, and it does not follow the timeline or doctrine in the gospel. However, the depiction of Jesus during his earthly ministry is outstanding and emotionally moving. In the opening episodes of season one, Mary is struggling without success to conquer the demons that have taken over her life, searching for relief anywhere she can even resorting to the thought that it's not worth trying anymore, and she considers ending it all. In the last scene, she's in a friend's bar, and in an attempt to numb the pain, asks for a drink. Very reluctantly, the friend finally gives in and hands her a cup. Just then, Jesus comes up behind her and says, That is not for you. Somewhat belligerent and angry, she storms out of the bar. You can see in her eyes the pain she is living with every day. She only makes it a few steps when you hear Jesus calling from behind her. Mary, he says, with a voice that pierces her and you right through the heart. Mary of Magdala. He then heals her, literally saving her life. When I read this account of Mary at the tomb and Jesus calling her name, I picture in my mind that same piercing voice that saved her the first time, a voice that had become so familiar to her as she followed him for the last three years of his life. Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is the same master. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, to my God and your God. There is great power in what Jesus says to her right there. Up until this point, Jesus has not called his disciples brethren. He's called them servants, sheep, and at the Last Supper, he called them friends. But this is the first time he refers to his disciples as brethren. Why? It's because up until this point, we were all doomed for certain condemnation and damned to hell for the imperfection of our lives. Up until this point, we have had no way to reach the Father or even come close to His presence as mortal failures. But because of Him that knows our name, 
He that descended up on high, as also he descended below all things, in that he comprehendeth all things, that he might be in all things and through all things, the light of truth, which truth shineth. This is the light of Christ. So what were the three principles that we looked at today? First, that seeing is not believing, but seeing with faith is understanding. When we see something through a spiritual lens, having faith, like Nephi when he was shown his father's dream, we can truly comprehend all things. Second, Mary did not see the master until after she heard him and recognized his voice. Most of the time, God wants us to respond to his voice first, before our eyes may be open. And thirdly, there is power in being a sister or brother of Christ. It's only because of him and what he did for us that we can be called his brothers and sisters. Might we truly be the best sisters and brothers that we can be to him who sacrificed it all for us. In his sacred name, even Jesus Christ, amen.